this is not a show. Like, this is, this is not a show. This is warfare. What my job is to do is to encourage you and train you up and lead you to be ready to go out there and fight, not to go out there and continue on like you did yesterday. Every time you come into the house, it's to move yourself and allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to change something within you so that when you go back out there, that the world might not be the same. I need you to understand that. This is not religion. I am not interested in religion. I am interested in making disciples of the world for the sake of the gospel and the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. That should be the entire sermon for today. And that should be enough for you. Amen. That should be enough for you to be ready to get up out of your seat and go out into the world and make disciples, Matthew 28, 19. I shouldn't even have to preach today because exactly this is what's happening. The words that we sang pertain to today's sermon. The communion message that Leighton just shared was preaching. And can you just thank the Lord for me because Leighton will be preaching in this house soon. All right? Amen. Yes. That scares him. That scares him in the same way it does me, in the same way it does every other preacher. But that was evidence of what a heart that has been transformed by the gospel is able to do. And in the same way, friends, for you. The same way for you. Amen. Only one person clapped in that way, but the important, the important thing is that you understand that you were not called. Please take this with you. You were not called to sit in that seat. I need that to mean something to you today. Maybe you're new. Maybe this is your first time at One Life. Maybe this is your first time in this type of church, right? And if you see, today we, are, we drank our coffee, and I'm grateful to the Lord for that because you're listening with your heart. Today I want to share a message with you as part of our greater series, and some of it might offend you. Some of it you might hear me, and you might be like, well, see, this is what I hate about church. But I'm going to ask you that when you feel that moment of tension, that instead of looking at me for saying something that offends you, that you would look inside yourself and say, why am I offended? Not to say that I won't offend you at some point. I don't mean to. But the gospel is offensive to those who don't understand it. And definitely offensive to those who don't love Jesus Christ. How could you tell me that in this book, that's aged back thousands of years. There's things that affect me today. This is outdated. This doesn't show love for people who are broken today. This doesn't have show, you know, media has changed. Society has changed. Culture is changing and forming. And this continues on calling sin, sin. I'll tell you why. Because sin continues to be sin. The Bible doesn't have to change just because the world did. And when you learn that, your life changes. Whenever you go back to the word of the Lord and you read his words as true, your life changes. I'm not here to offer you today anything else than Jesus Christ. And my offer is that at the end of this message today, that you would make a decision in your life, even if you've been sitting in a church chair for all of your life, my request to you today is that today something be different. If you've been doing the same thing for the last 30 years and consider yourself a faithful believer, I'm going to ask you to change something about your stride. 
100% of us were called to be in the house today. You're not here by mistake. Today, based on the sermon especially, you're not here by mistake. And I need you to understand that your worth in this house is massive. Yes, I'm the pastor, and maybe a lot of people might question me and judge me based on the fact that I desire to see you all standing up here preaching the gospel. But my job is not just to stand here sermonizing you. My job is to make sure that you're at a place where you can stand up here and defend the faith. Greater, today I want to talk to you about greater responsibility. When the Lord gave me this sermon series, I was praying about it and I was like, greater responsibility, like what does that mean, right? And you would, you would assume that I'm the pastor, so I'm the one that puts this together. It's right, I type it out, but the Lord put responsibility on my heart, and this was weeks past. And last week, we had just come out of COVID quarantine, and I felt like, you know, just in case I get really bad, I'm going to have someone else preach, and Marlon preached that awesome message on courage. Courage was supposed to come up after responsibility, but I love that today you come into the house understanding what it is to have greater courage. To start me off today, I want to ask Angie Santi Garcia, hyphenated, get it right? It's 2022. I'd like Angie just to share uh, a testimony um, for us. Santi Garcia. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just wanted to um, share with everyone here how God has um, blessed Marlon and I in this, um, in this past year, in 2021, and how we're starting off this year completely different um, to last year. So um, the start of last year in January, Marlon and I, we were struggling financially. Um, so I decided to we decided to like create a budget, a plan, so we can follow and we can, you know, get out of this financial struggle. So we started doing that. We follow um, Dave Ramsey. I don't know how many. I know Mariah does. <laughs> so um, he is, um, yeah, it's very strict plan, very strict budgeting plan. And um, it was really tough for Marlon and I because we were also newlyweds. So we had just started combining our finances. So I'm not used to that and neither is he. <laughs> so that was um, that was a bit of a struggle in the beginning, and once we started getting the rhythm of it, um, we fell into an even deeper financial uh, crisis. And it was like, what? We've been doing everything right, and then all of a sudden, it was just one thing after another in in one month. And I was at a job then that I had to get out of. It was like so horrible to just go into work. Um, my boss was just making it really uncomfortable. And so I was talking with Marlon, like just telling him how I felt and we're looking at numbers, right? Like, okay, like we're in this crisis even more now. Um, we literally did not know if we were gonna have enough to pay rent the next, the following month after that. And here I am trying to quit my job because I hate it and I was really, really uncomfortable and it was just a very uncomfortable situation. And so, um, anyways, we prayed, right? And throughout all of this, we remained, you know, focused on God in church. We were at the gathering at that time. We were serving there. And we just, again, like, put that up to prayer. And 
um, through God's guidance, we, um, or strength, right, the strength and the peace that he put inside of us, um, inside me and in him, I remember we were just talking one day, and I was like, listen, like, I just can't work here anymore. I know that it's going to be tough. Maybe we can move things around this way, and we'll make it happen. And so he felt the same way. We prayed about it. We're like, okay. I was at peace. I was like, all right, I'm going to resign. You know, we have these two paychecks coming in. It'll, it'll be able to, you know, assist us here and whatnot. And so um, literally the next month came, and um, I was about to give my resignation. That morning, um, he gets, like, pictures of the mail that we're about to receive. And so it was like a letter from a lawyer's office. And we've been in a car accident. We were in a car accident, like, maybe, I don't know, I, how many years ago. And that lady tried to sue us. And that's always been in the, hanging in the back of my head, like, oh, my God, is this the year that this lady's going to, like, sue us for, for this car accident that we were in? It, our car was totaled. She was fine, thankfully. She walked away fine. Her car was actually okay. It was not totaled. Um, but anyways, that's what I thought. I'm like, okay, we're in this hole. Um, I want to resign my job. And... Now I have this letter coming in, and I don't know if someone's about to sue me, and now we don't have any money. And it turns out that it was actually um, a check from a lawyer's office, and it was a check <laughs> that was, sorry, it was a check that really um, helped us get out of this financial crisis and struggle that we were in. It happened that a month before that, I had lost um, someone very, um, someone very close, someone very dear to me. Um, I remember speaking with Daisy about it because she had recently lost a family member herself, and um, through prayer, she really helped me. And it was because of this friend, of this huge family to me, um, that we were able to get out of this financial crisis, right? And um, it helped us out tremendously, and it was all thanks to God, right? And um, to this man that was just a huge blessing to our lives. And now we're in a completely different, you know, um, we're in a completely different situation. A year, a year ago, we were struggling really, really bad, and we were newlyweds, and you know, and now it's, it's, we're in a completely different spot, and so. I just encourage you, and I share this with you, right, to just not lose focus, to not lose faith, um, to remain committed to, to him, right, to his church, because that's really what, um, that's what really helps us. Like, he's helping us, right, and he's there providing for us. He hasn't forgotten us, and he's there by our side, and that's something that Marlon and I continued um, to remember, right, and continue to pray on and whatnot, and um, I just encourage you, and that's just something that we, even with Marlon, I think individually we've we both struggled financially growing up, and um, there's been times where I just, I felt inside me, listen, like this is, um, like in college, I was in college working, and I just felt inside me to give my entire check, let's say, to this, um, it was to this, um, oh my God, what did they, it was, um, 
he was he would go to like countries missionary he was a missionary he would go to countries and he wanted to like put up a school for for these kids and whatnot and he just needed to start with something right and I felt it in my heart and so I tell you if you feel it in your heart don't be scared don't be nervous and I remember when I gave that check I was nervous because I was in college and I had I had bills to pay and I was like all right this is I was acting in faith and then literally like the next um, the next morning my boss called me and they were like oh you know we need you to do overtime and so what I gave I was given back the next day so I encourage you and that is it <laughs> Angie she was she was nervous to share today and uh, The testimony that she shares, maybe some of you have experienced that in your life, but I don't want you to misunderstand it. Jesus is not an ATM. Instead, the, the, the power of her story is the providence of the Almighty God. But I don't want to, I don't want to oversee something, and the, the reason why I asked her to share, and I may ask some of you to share as well, her faithfulness. The weight of responsibility that Angie in particular, as well as Marlon, that they carry when God called us to plant a church back, this would have been maybe 2017, it was just a dream, a vision for Diorca and I about opening up a church, about planting a church in a community that needed help, gospel help, not church help. It didn't need more churches. It needed gospel help, Jesus' salvation like you and I need today. And I went up to Angie, and I remember that few years or years prior, we were just sitting. We were friends. I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't pastoring. I was a leader at a church, yes, but we were just friends. I would encourage them just being older and in their walk and in their relationship. And Marlon said this to me. He said, man, if you ever open up a church, let us know. They were just dating at the time. Rocky, actually, a little bit, right, if I remember correctly. Uh, I'm sorry, I totally put your business out there, I apologize. <laughs> We've all been there. I'm still there. <laughs> so, fast forward, God gives us this vision to plant a church called The Gathering, which we started in Hempstead, and now we're here, so this is in the past. But I go, and I'm like, hey, I remember what they said, Diorca, and I'm going to cash in on that. And we sat, we brought them to Applebee's, which is where the Lord's work happens, and we're sitting down... <laughs> I'm sitting down with Angie and Marlon, and we share with them this vision, and the same way I speak to you passionately, and I get excited because I'm able to see tomorrow, today. Right? That's faith. Lord, you're calling me to do what? Oh, sure. I can see it, but today is today. And I go to Angie, and Angie, without a lag in her response, she says, whatever it is, I'm in. And then Marlon goes, I mean, you know, I'm serving at a church or whatever, like, you know, like, I'll help, and then we'll see where God brings us. And so there was, he's not here to defend himself, but I'm telling the truth, and Angie will vouch. But Angie was quick to say yes. She hadn't seen a building. She hadn't seen a church. She hadn't seen the people. She hadn't seen the structure. We, haven't, we hadn't even gotten all of the vision that God had for us, but her response was yes. 
And ever since then, she has not stopped working. She leads our hospitality team now. A hospitality team that has slowly been disappearing. But Sunday after Sunday, she's still here. And you see her in her smaller frame here with the mop, mopping the church, cleaning the bathrooms, checking the lobby, going outside week after week after week because she understands something, that she made a commitment and a covenant with God to serve this house, not with me. Amen? Okay? Now, you see where I'm going with this. You see where I'm going with this. She understands that she did not come here just to watch and listen But she came here to be watchful. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. The best way for me to say this, and please, if you have a 12 o'clock appointment today, I'm going to need you to just bear with me because I really want you to take this big old scoop of Jesus with you home. Luke chapter 12, I'm going to move quickly. If we can put it up here on the screens. Verse 35 says, stay dressed for action. If you have your Bible and your pen, underline that. Stay dressed for action action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks verse 37 says blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes question are you awake amen Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Don't miss that. Verse 38 says, if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, you are telling the parable, you are telling this parable for us or for all. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing, underline doing, when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. For those of us who think that God doesn't avenge what he has spoken. Reference something that I saw the other day, what God doesn't judge and neither should you. Uh, false. God judges everything that you do, even when you think that no one is watching. Verse 47, and that servant who knew his master will, I'm sorry, his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did not and did what deserved the beating will receive a life 
a light beating, excuse me. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. It's not just a line from Spider-Man. It's in Scripture. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Who has received so much from God in their life? Think about the provision that God has granted you in your life and remember that verse. To whom much is given, of him or her, much will be required. Jesus is speaking here. Let me get to the historical context. He's speaking here to a multitude. Earlier in verse, in, uh, in chapter 12, we see that it's a multitude that Jesus is speaking to because he's doing these miracles, works, and wonders, and people are hearing about it. So they come to listen to all these awesome things that he's up to. So he speaks to them, and in verses 35 to 40, he's using a parable to teach them about what? About being watchful, about being ready. And then from verse 40 to verse 48, he's telling them about the importance of working as we wait, which in our context means, as you wait, how are you serving? In 2003, I used to wrestle. In, in high school, I was in high school, I was wrestling, I was a good wrestler, and I made it far in the county, and I was invited to go to the championship. And when I get to the championship, if you've ever wrestled, anybody ever wrestled or ever had a wrestler in the house, these tournaments are hours and hours and hours of waiting, and you haven't eaten because you have to make weight. So Isaac Badaraco was here representing 189 pounds at the time, of course, and I had been invited. It was my first and only time that I got invited because I had done well. I performed well as a wrestler. And I get to this tournament that thousands of boys had tried to get to. But I made it. I got the opportunity to go and make it and represent for my family, for my name, because it's an individual sport, and for my school. My school sent representatives. They had somebody there. I went with some other kids from my team. But I was tired. And in my time of waiting, because I won my first match, I remember that, I won my second match, and there was the final match. But for the final match, I was tired. And so what did I do? I fell asleep. I fell asleep, and because at that point, everybody else on my team had lost, they left. I fell asleep, and I lost my match. I was in the building but I was asleep. They called my name, but I was asleep. And I remember getting in trouble afterwards from my school. Obviously, the athletic director at the school, hey, Isaac, this and that, what happened, and all of this. I fell asleep. My job was to be there to defend our school and what we had worked so hard to get to, and even the hard work that I had put in for the previous two months but I fell asleep. I wasn't watchful. I wasn't responsible. That was a big lesson in responsibility that I had to learn because I ended up lying to the athletic director. And my mother, being a mother who knows how to teach her children the importance of being responsible, even for when you mess up, I lied to him. And I said that this older lady from the church had died. Do you remember, Ma? <laughs> and that because she died, I couldn't blah, 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 because he wasn't there. And then my mom... My mom told me to call this man back 
not only to tell him the truth, but to tell him that I lied. Ah, oh, parenthood. Responsibility. So here we're talking, Jesus is using this parable of a servant waiting for his master to come back from a wedding feast, a man of influence, a man who would have had, right? This is a parable. It's an illustration for us to understand. If I'm a master and you are my servant, master in our context being Jesus Christ, we are his servants. This is his home. What are we doing as we are waiting? This is prophetic because Jesus is promising to his people, hey, I will return. You see me in the flesh now. I will leave you for a time, but I will be coming back. Praise the Lord for his prophecy. But in that time that you wait for me to return, what are you doing? What are you doing when we get the opportunity to come before the Father, the day of judgment, and he's making a list or going through the list of everything that we have done in our lives? What are we going to present to him of the things we've done in our lives? What is going to be our burnt sacrifice? Is it going to be, Lord, I showed up to church eight times this year, received my offering. And I praise the Lord for those eight times, but it's more. Remember weeks back, and I think it was the sermon series called Together that I talked to you about your presence. Your being here is the bare minimum. But we struggle even to get, no, but you know what? You know, the kids are tired from last night. I think we're just going to stay in. You know what? We had Saturday, we had a birthday party. It was crazy. But do you see how quickly we remove God from his place of authority? See, Sunday won't save you. You're being in that chair. It won't save you. But you know what it does show? It shows the Father that, Lord, there's a hundred things that I can be doing, but you're important. This is our love. We give to the things we love, don't we? You remember your first relationship where you felt love for the first time? Who had to beg you to take them out? You found a way to get those, that, that money to, to take the person out. If you're a guy to, to pay, hopefully, that's a lesson for you. If you're dating, pay, find a way. My mom used to give me $50 a week, and when I had my first relationship, even though it was the 50 that I needed to eat, I was figuring it out. <laughs> Budget. <laughs> but we give to the things that we love, and this is where we're going to start feeling a little uncomfortable because... You guys know that we're working on your giving statements for the year and all of this. And this is a church that I really have not known historically, right? So I don't know giving histories and all of this. And please don't be offended by what I'm going to say. But we as a church, we need to do better at looking at this structure, looking at this church family. Look to your left and to your right. The people to your left and to the right are people who sit at this dinner table and share a meal with you. But what I realize that all of us, all of us, all of us, including your pastor up here, All of us need to do better at giving. We need to do better not only at giving financially, but we need to do better at giving of our time and responsibility and commitment to this church. I'm off my notes here because I really need you to understand what it is that we're reading about. This is beautiful things. These are beautiful things that Jesus is talking about having given to his people. Does God need your money to produce his miracles and his work? No, he does not. It's your opportunity to say, Jesus, I believe in what you are doing. And I choose to love in this way because I understand that everything that I have had and have and will have is because you have given it to me. 
I'm not talking about percentages. I'm not talking about amounts. I'm talking about love. My daughters don't have to beg me to feed them. And here I am as the father in this house, almost, hey, don't forget to feed me. Don't forget to feed the house. Don't forget to feed the work. And just so that you guys understand, this is not to encourage you to give. This is to encourage you to review the level of your love to the house. And for those of you who don't know me, and I, I thought I would never say this up here, but I really need you to understand the Holy Spirit is convicting me for this. I don't take a salary. So if, if any of us are convicted in this moment to say, well, Isaac, of course you want to see money come in. The no. Negative. I don't get paid to be up here preaching the gospel. Okay? And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing because maybe one day there will be somebody up here who desires that and God has called them that to, um, to, to be provided for by the church. It's not a bad thing because they are working for what they are getting. That's fine. I'm not speaking against that. In this season, though, what God has moved me to is it's a season of recovery. 2020 was a year for this church, which I am now seeing on paper. I'm not seeing it just in what the church produced or didn't produce in terms of mission. It's on paper. I had a chance to go back and see that this church was present for many of the people that called this place home. And here we are still trying to recover. And if you want more information about that, you can also go to our treasurer and elder Chris, who's in the back for him to vouch for this. Some of the conversations that we're having is like, hey, we need to do this. But Isaac, I don't think we have the, he, he uses fancier words. I'm not that smart. But like, yeah, we, don't have, we don't have the funds for that, basically. Okay, so we're, it's going to be a hopeful year, and we're going to recover, and we're going to make it happen because we're working and moving in faith, right? Again, because money is not going to keep us from doing God's work. I'll preach in the street if we need to, and if you'll join me and bring a chair from home like we had one person do so once, right? It was the second Sunday we were here, and she showed up. Jenny Brown, who's in Jamaica right now, showed up with her folding chair because I had made a joke about, come to the house early, it's going to be so full, bring a chair. Did you bring one too? She brought a chair. Because we're moving in faith, right? We're believing that God is going to be able to do this and finances aren't going to keep us from doing it. But remember, it's not just about finances. Our giving is not just about money. It's time, which we say every week almost, time talent, and treasure. God has given you giftings. What are you good at? What are you passionate about? How are you using that to bless the house back? God has given you these amazing gifts. How are you using that to bless the house back? We've been asking for months. We need volunteers. We need volunteers. Our children are in the back. Jeanette, our children's director, sorting through people, reviewing them and putting them week after week and her plugging herself in there, trying to find a way to make sure that our children are learning about the gospel as well because we don't have a team. Should I stand up here and beg? If so, I'm begging. Our worship ministry, we're losing people. People are deciding not to show up. This is a moment of exhortation. I love you. I am the pastor of this house. Our hospitality team, they show up, they don't show up, there's a million excuses, we're not showing up. And friends, it's hard. This is a church. We all eat. This is our family. When you reference to your friends about your church, you talk about one life. How are you serving one life? 
I said, I said you might be a little offended, right? It's not offense. It's because you know that what I'm saying is a conviction unto you. If I came over to your house for Thanksgiving with my whole family, and you're busy cooking and doing all of this, not to say you're not hospitable, and then I decided to lay on your couch and just sprawl out while you're washing the dishes. Let's assume you don't have a dishwasher. I never had a dishwasher. Our dishwasher today, we have one because we have a nice house that the Lord has provided for us, literally. And that dishwasher, my wife looks at it like, well, what am I going to do with that? I'll just wash the dishes. Because we've grown up not having those faculties. Like, no, let's not waste water. Instead, let's waste way more water washing the dishes, right? <laughs> but if I'm sitting at your house... Right? If, if I'm someone who's a responsible adult and I'm at your house and you've invited me, I show up with my hands empty and I sit in your house and now I'm reclining at table, which is what Jesus is saying here. I'm reclining at table but with no intention to be watchful. Hey, can I help you? And this is not a lesson for the women that is not a lesson for the men. This is for everyone. You show up to somebody's house, a lesson in hospitality is, hey, how can I serve you? How can I show up? With something. Oh, and listen, if you come to my house, you know, like, I'm always going to tell you, Nikki will tell you this, I'm always going to say, nothing, we got everything, and we do, but she never shows up without something. Even if it's a, what did she bring us the other day? She brought us towels for the kitchen. The Lord spoke to you because the towels in our kitchen are done. (laughs) You laugh, but I know they're done at your house, too. You need to get new ones. You keep washing them, but those things are crusty. So the point is watchfulness. The point is responsibility. This is our house. See, you've invited me to your house as a guest, but you're not a guest in this house. I have children. You have children. What have you taught them? Chores. Get up. Move. Pick up your bed. Clean the table. Wash the floors. Clean the toilet. Stop being on the toilet seat if it's a boy, right? Like, (laughs) lift up the toilet seat, right, if you live with me. In a house with a bunch of girls. So that's the difference between a guest and someone who is from the house. So if you find yourself being a guest who is constantly being served but never serves back, are you a guest? Are you a guest in the house of the Lord or are you a member of this family? Because if you're a member of this family, I'm once again going to invite you. How are you going to serve? So maybe I've been asking the wrong way. Maybe instead of me asking how... Do you feel God is calling you to serve? Maybe I should just ask you, where will you serve? Right? It's kind of some, some psychology there. There's a card right in front of you that has a yellow bar. I don't know what it says. You'll read it. But that letter is an invitation for you today to say yes to serving God's house. And there's different ways to serve. And they're listed there. We have children who need teachers. We have young middle school and high schoolers who need your mentorship, who need your motivation, who need what God has given you. They need help. We have a hospitality team. The reason for why there's hot coffee, the reason for why when you look down, the floors are mopped and cleaned and it doesn't smell like old rags in here. There's a hospitality team that needs help. There's a media team that needs help. There's a worship team that needs help. If God has given you any type of gifting, if you used to play piano but it's been five years, maybe it's time to dust yourself off and pick it up again. 
It's an invitation for you to serve the house. If you consider yourself part of this family and you know that you are in right standing with the Father, right? I'm not inviting anybody who is not able to present themselves as holy to the Father. I'm not saying perfect. I'm talking about righteous and sanctified by the Father alone. But willing. Do you need leadership school and to go to theology school to stand up there and smile at somebody while they walk up the ramp? You don't. You don't because these are the limitations we place on ourselves. Oh, well, I... I could never stand up there and do communion. I guarantee you Leighton didn't think that he would be standing up here doing this 10 years ago or when he was experiencing what he was talking about here. And I'm sorry I've taken today um, using this portion of Scripture. I don't, you know, it's not my style to not go to the Bible often, but God has really filled up this cup. And I, I will admit to you that I've been afraid to say this because I don't want to offend you, because I don't want to hurt anybody, because... My wife says, honey attracts more bees, or whatever that saying is, right? I'm not a sayings guy. You catch more bees with honey. So I wanted to be like a bit more honey in this season. And I felt the Holy Spirit convict me, enough is enough. We need to help one another. We need to help one another. We need to show our faithfulness in giving. Let's go back to Scripture really quick. I'm almost done. In verse 36, he says, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and he knocks. Are you ready to open this door? When God comes to knock at the door of your heart, and that reference in Scripture isn't to the unbeliever. That reference in Scripture is to people who call themselves believers. Verse 37 says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. He's inviting himself into this place. But instead, like the way we would picture a master with a servant is that the servant would serve the master. But what he's saying is that he will come in and you will be reclining at the table while he serves you. Do you get this? The master of all masters is inviting himself into his home, not for you to serve him, but for him to serve you. But he wants to find you watchful. He wants to know that when he comes to the door that you're awake and moving, right? But the way we perceive it is that, oh, because he's not here right now, I can do whatever I want. And when it starts feeling like he's inching closer, then I'll say, yes, Lord. But the thing is, this is telling us that he might come at a time. He will come at a time that we don't know. You don't know when he's going to come back. I know that YouTube might tell you that they know, but they don't know either. Because 2012 came and it left really fast. And we are still here and he still has not returned for his church. No one knows. Well, the vaccinations, does that mean that it's time for the Lord to... No one knows. No one knows, but because no one knows, how is he going to find his bride? His bride is you and I. In verse 47, chapter 12, verse 47, it says, And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. That's the consequence that we're talking about. So in case you were wondering, what happens, Isaac, if he comes and I am not awake? 
And awake means that you are ready, that you're working, that you're willing, that you're moving, not that you're just like, hey, going through the motions until he returns. It says that he will receive a severe beating. This is contextual to the servant and master, but what that means for us is that we are going to see consequence, negative consequence to not being awake. Then, in verse 48, but the one who did not know and did what deserved the beating will receive a light beating because they did not know. That's the unbeliever who has not heard the gospel yet. And why in Matthew and in the gospels, Jesus sends us out to make more disciples because for the sake of justice, everybody is to hear the good news. But if there are those who have not heard the good news and there are people in New York, there are people in Queens who have never heard the name of Jesus. I'm friends with a missionary in Queens that serves a Sikh community, and what he realized and why he felt called to serve the Sikh community, which is a religion, Sikh, is because they had never even heard the word Jesus. That's in Queens. But here, it's easier for us to assume, like, no, we're not going to do that kind of work here. It's America. But what happens in these extreme cultural and religious communities where they don't do anything outside? How many of these Orthodox Jews have heard the name of Jesus? Now, they're waiting for their Messiah, but perhaps they haven't yet heard the name of Jesus preached in the context of the good news. And then lastly, to that same verse 48, everyone... To whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him, to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. God, again, has given us so, so much. Once more, this was a message of exhortation to us. I know it's hard to hear, but more than a correction, it's an invitation. Because guess what? In these last 30 minutes that I've been speaking... Jesus still hasn't come back. Isn't that a miracle? Which means what? There's time to change. I'm going to ask you again. How will you serve the house? Close your eyes. (laughs) 